How are you? I'm a, hey. that's good. I'm Hi. I'm going nuts. Hey. I shouldn't I, I I don't want to lie. What's driving I'm, you nuts, Scott? Tell well, us. I'm in the middle of trying to produce a show in Los Angeles with COVID going on and sounds easy. Yeah. I just and lost a stage manager thanks to COVID. No way. <gasps> no. They yeah, had yeah. another show get scheduled over our show. So now I have to find a stage manager in a month. <laughs> That'll go well, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> LA County has uh, officially hit 1 million cases in this past month, which is a record. USA! USA! Uh, USA! So wear a mask at LAC. Also, hi. Hello. <laughs> Real quick, uh, CJ, we had something kind of special happen over the, <laughs> the three-day weekend. Happy MLK weekend, everybody. It, this, it, this won't come out for another week. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> <laughs> um... We had a new review. Now, we don't get reviews very often because for some, I, we appreciate the subscriptions, but we don't have a lot of reviews and we would love it if you could review us. But someone did review. What the fuck, everybody that listens to us all the time? Yeah, and apparently people who do review don't want us to know who they are because they make <laughs> very anonymous usernames mm -hmm. and then they write stuff like this. Read, read Siege, please. Uh, says Volkanaya loves this show five stars. Scott Leggett's mouth trumpet is unrivaled, and Jay true. Bailey would it's rake true. your grandmothers if you let him. I would rate them. I would rate your grandmothers <laughs> if you let me do that. Yeah. Meanwhile, CJ's chain smoking is sex worker positive. Mm -hmm. To say nothing of the fact that it really sounds like she's the one saying "Sing it out, Louise!" Ah, in the show's theme song. It, what more could you ask? It's Bet Midler, but it does sound a bit like CJ. <laughs> it does. It does. Yes. It's a... <laughs> Sing it out, Louis. I'm entering my. Oh uh, yeah, I'm entering my Sophie Tucker phase. So you know, I'm down with that. I'm fine. It's a with good that. phase to be in. It's a good phase right. to yeah, be yeah. in. Yeah. Hey, mm -hmm. welcome to theater. Theater. <laughs> Look at that segue. The theater podcast for theater nerds, made by three theater makers from the LA theater scene. I'm Jay Bailey Bertram. I'm CJ Merriman. And I'm Scott Leggett. Yeah, and each week we get together to discuss, debate, and disseminate the evolutions of the great playwrights by taking a macro look at three of their plays. And this is part two of three of our miniseries covering the works of Rodgers and Hammerstein. That's right, it's South Pacific. Now, last really time we covered good. Carousel, this time we're going to be covering South Pacific, and then uh, next week we're doing The King and I. But we're once again joined by a dear friend of mine, an actor of stage and screen with an MFA in acting from Columbia University. What? It's Kayla Packett. Hey, yes, I went, hey. I went with Rogers and Hammerstein. At the same time? Yes. Yeah, yeah you were there. Ow. You were there with them. Was there. How old are you? You were undergrad great. when they were grad. Great. <laughs> yeah. You look great. I was apparently born in 1902. Yeah. 1902. Good year for babies. Good year for wine, that. <laughs> um. uh, I, I'm, I'm so happy to be here. I'm actually, uh, I'm as corny as Kansas in autumn. Aw. 
Hi, it's, it's the flag not on very the 4th corny. of July. Hey. <laughs> yeah, you really are, though. You're very corny. And it's obvious by your eyes that you're very, very stoned right now, so you're high. I'm as high as, the, as an elephant's eye. Yeah. <laughs> or as they said, as as they said when the film of Oklahoma was being filmed in Arizona, they actually had to right. plant the corn, and it actually was higher, like twice as high than it should have been. Oh. And so Oscar Hammerstein was like, "Well, it's as high as the elephant's eye on top of an elephant." Hey. Mm. Uh, writer yeah. ladies and gentlemen a writer right what a genius that one it sounded like a plot point from a sam shepherd play <laughs> it's kind of true that's kind of true yeah. there's corn growing in arizona but yeah. it's two times as high as corn normally is what the fuck does that mean yeah. and there's elephants in the cornfield um we're doing something a little bit different this week because uh, we, we've stretched it out a little bit so that we get the opportunity to actually cover their entire chronology. But we have something kind of special for that, mm -hmm. don't we, Scott? <laughs> yeah, we do. We should give a big shout out to Ryan Thomas Johnson, who writes our theme uh, song. That's Ryan. We credit him every episode, but not at the top. We don't credit him enough at the top. Mm -hmm. uh, but he's an amazing composer and writer, and he's written all of our stingers for season two, which we started in season two. And now it's a world premiere. That's right. It's it's a new stinger. It's a brand Woo. new stinger. Yes. <laughs> Man, that's Amazing. pretty cool. That's pretty it's cool. Pretty good. It's Whoa, pretty good. Whoa, I like it. Well yeah, I like done. it. Yeah, Ryan it's gonna... goes, as per he goes, huge. Chronology. <laughs> Chronology. 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 <laughs> That's how it goes. Um, I love it because it's time for the chronology. That's right. We're going to step through from the beginning all the way to the end of their careers. Now, is there anything that they did alone? I know last episode y'all brought up uh, Hammerstein's work on Showboat. Is there anything you wanted to say about Showboat before we get into their careers together? It's got two of my favorite, favorite songs in all of musical theater, which is Can't Help Loving That Man and Bill. Are two of my. Oh, I just yeah, love. Sure. There's the a lot of good songs in that one, though. But I remember just being in high school and we had a. Our, our music teacher showed us that old movie with Paul Robeson in it and uh, Ava. Ava. Ava Gardner. Ava Gardner. Uh, Ava Gardner. You mean yeah. Frank Sinatra's girlfriend? Right. <laughs> right. Well, one of them. How she should um, be known. One of them. <laughs> um, anyway, I love that movie. I love it, love it so much. That's because she is part black, apparently. Yeah, well, she had she had some dark bass on, I guess. I don't oh. know. You mean blackface? <laughs> yeah, oh, blackface. He looked like they put her blackface. in a tanning bed before. Uh, yeah. Ooh, <laughs> ooh, ew, ew. I think the the song "Old Man River" mm -hmm. is uh, uh, one of those songs that really uh, tugs at the heart, especially yeah. because um, you know Rogers. Uh, I'm sorry, um, Oscar Hammerstein was incredible, an incredible lyricist, but he didn't like rhymy lyrics so yeah. much. It wasn't like, mm -hmm. you know, yes, the corn is as high as an elephant's eye, but there weren't that many but that's rhymes cheeky. in his in his. In his He's thing. being yeah. cheeky yeah. on purpose cheeky. there, yeah. Well, right, right. And in Old Man River, it's like, it takes a while for him to get to the actual to the to the actual first rhyme because he's just like old man river that old man river he must know something but don't say nothing he just keeps rolling along actually there were a few rhymes there but 
You know what I mean? It yeah. wasn't. We're it you. wasn't banging. It wasn't like hitting you on the head with rhymes. Well, and it's and yeah. it's not all also you know about the meter. It when it's da 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 da. We go okay, and that's a little silly. And you can use that to be cheeky, like he does with Nelly sometimes or somebody else, right? But then you have the ability to change that meter, and it can still rhyme. Because that's kind of how you want songs to work for your brain, but it just it doesn't rhyme in the way that m the meter doesn't rhyme. Yeah, that's a better way to say it. We see it a lot in Shakespeare, Keila. I mean, as you mm -hmm. know, you're of course. working on yeah. Winter's Tale right now, as we said in the last episode. Yes. Okay, so then, is there anything Rogers and Hart specific, Scott? You had said Pal Joey was one that you enjoyed. Is that is that one that you know really well? Have you? I seen don't know it really it? well. I just saw I it. Seen studies, and that's about it. No, I've seen I've seen like one or two productions of it, and I, I just it's a, I look at it as, as a really cool time capsule. Like sometimes we watch things, especially in this day and age, and we're kind of keenly aware of, of the time differences and differences in culture and differences in social settings and standings and that sort of thing. And Pal Joey is that, but it's like in a perfect little capsule. Where it's like you can look at it. It's not overtly cringeworthy like some stuff. And yeah, you know, and they had, I mean, they were so hugely successful, Rogers and Hart. And so when he finally broke from, from, from Hart and, and, and got together with Hammerstein, they didn't do a lot together. They were both kind of at a new phase in their career, a later phase in their career. And then they just sort of hit like half a dozen out of the ballpark like motherfuckers right. and really... i mean if you look at rogers and hart yeah it's like 30 shows it's like insane right. i don't know a lot of rogers and hart personally See, no they you, don't, yeah i mean they we're... don't do it too much anymore not a lot of them they yeah yeah like i said in the last episode they did a rogers and hart showcase as our small musical like my junior year in college oh, right and people were pissed it <laughs> they were pissed, but I just, it was, a, it was, it was like seeing Bohemian Rhapsody or Rocket Man. I was like, oh, I know that song. Oh, I know that song too. So the, the Rogers and Hart you, showcase was like that too. <laughs> you also know my funny Valentine. Sure. I love that, that song. I mean, there's and probably a hundred standards, right? That yeah. came out of the work. I mean, it's, yeah. The Lady uh, is a Tramp was one that I remember from that mm -hmm. one. Yeah. And you know, Rogers is Rogers. You know what I mean? Like his, his shit works no matter what. Uh, it's incredible that he got so much much practice with heart so that then when he's with Hammerstein who can really do some hard hitting book writing libretto writing and lyric writing it can uh it just amplifies him so much doesn't Malcolm Gladwell talk about then in his outliers book about how you need 10,000 hours of practice right before yeah you can actually do something. do something he talks about that with the Beatles how they played in Hamburg for like hundreds and hundreds of shows this was um Rogers and you know Hammerstein's their yeah. kind of ten thousand hours of practice absolutely before their midlife crisis. It's, it, it's 100%. A, I also read an interesting thing about the early Rogers and Hart stuff was that they came to popularity because of published music. People didn't have record players. They went and bought music for the piano in their in their house, and that's where a lot of these songs. And so as that's happening, as that's rising. It's causing Hammerstein to do, uh, I mean, sorry, Rogers to do a lot more analysis of his composition because he's looking at it after the fact for the sake of publishing. And so he's got a whole different perspective on it. So they were going through these like tech classes as well, like musicology classes. So 
when they finally he went to he was going to the institute of musical art at the time which is now called the juilliard school Juilliard. and all of this practice obviously led them to changing the game completely began in 1943 with a little show called oklahoma exclamation point now <laughs> we we can yeah exactly yeah, now yeah. we can <laughs> You've I, talked I would, about this before, no? We have. Yes. Keila, I yeah. want to hear your sort of specific thoughts on Oklahoma. I bring it up a lot because of how little I like it and how much I disdain it. But we've done a whole episode on it already, so I'm not going to comment. Uh, you can go back and listen to that. But Keila, I'd love to hear your I'll thoughts. Try, I'll try to make it really quick. I think I heard the song Oklahoma before any other Rodgers and Hammerstein song because it's such an Probably. iconic song. Mm -hmm. And I remember as a kid, I mean, I must have been five or six, I had my own little recorder, and I was always going like, Oklahoma, 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 because I didn't know the right. I didn't know the rest of the lyrics, but I knew the Oklahoma, da 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 And that song actually was just supposed to be sung by Curly at the end, and it was the crew, the cast was like, why don't we all sing it? Wouldn't it be great if we all all sang the song together? So it then became this rousing chorus number. Mm. Uh, and then after, and then I didn't really know the musical until I, I hadn't even seen the movie. I saw the Broadway revival with Patrick Wilson, in, I think that was maybe two thousand and two. Fun, which bored me to tears. Yeah, oh, we love Pat, and we and, love Pat and, Wilson. And uh, that was after his, no pun intended, his big debut in yeah, the Full Monty, Monty. Yeah. <laughs> um, which I saw on the front row. Anyway, back yeah. to Oklahoma. Um, I think having done research on it and realizing you know you got to put everything in context of what the of what was happening in America in 1943, right? Yeah. So they were coming off of all these like fun, gay, happy, Ziegfeld Follies type musical comedies. And then Rodgers and Hammerstein kind of uh, breaks it open with a very sh a very small opening number with a woman churning butter and a cowboy coming in singing, and it was groundbreaking because they were used to like the big chorus number. So I I think I respect it. I respect the show for being such a a new kind of a you know it was it was the fresh face of of Broadway. Sure. In its day, and it was a huge hit, whether we like it or not. I mean, didn't it play for like five years or something? It was crazy. But after Oklahoma, yeah. there's obviously the film version. We have the Hugh Jackman version, all those other things. Uh, 1945, two years later, Carousel, the show that we already completely dissected, discussed, debated, and disseminated. Disseminated. Um, uh, which, by the way, somebody asked me the other day, they said, what does disseminate mean? Why do you use that? And I was like, no, we're trying to spread it. We're spreading it across the... But in our first season, I used to say, and disseminate all over them, which was just a funny... I was just being <laughs> Just gross. being dirty. I was dirty. being dirty. Uh, so that's... But it's fun. It feels it's good. It's funny. It's good dirty. Um, so <laughs> after Carousel, uh, they move on to the same year. This is really interesting, and I think we should actually talk about it. This is the first time that they write music that goes directly to a film and not to stage. And this is State Fair. Right. Now, State Fair is an extremely interesting musical and also one of the first shows I really remember seeing as a kid because they did it in like 97 or something at Music Theater Wichita right after it was on Broadway. State Fair is a movie in 1933 with no music. They... Starring? Who? 
Will Rogers. Will oh, Rogers right. It's a Will Rogers piece. Rogers. I forgot Rogers. about that. Yeah. I totally forgot about that. And, yeah. Then it's made into this musical movie in 1945, which is the they hire Rogers and Hammerstein for. Then they remake the movie musical with Pat Boone and Anne Margaret, one of my uh, early yeah, crushes in life. Yeah, Anne Margaret. Uh, but it was never. Was it actually made? Was it released? Yes, this is in 1962, oh, and right, it was put right. out. Um, and it then was a bomb because Hammerstein total bomb, like did horrible. Okay. Yeah, and then it was Bobby Darren, right? And then it was turned into a stage show at the Muni in St. Louis. Uh, in 1969, but it wasn't like great. But people liked it. They liked the idea of it. Uh, but then it went to Broadway in 1996. It was a show in 69. It took till 96. Inverse the numbers uh-huh. for that to actually make its way to Broadway, which is crazy. I remember becoming aware of State Fair shortly after. I did Meet Me in St. Louis and thinking that it was probably just a rip off of Meet Me in St. Louis. That's probably <laughs> so the I same. never <laughs> I didn't probably not, not even as good. It's probably not. <laughs> um, Which it's so not. Let's be clear. It's not. It, it, it's not. It it was it was it was a much lighter fare. You could tell that they were both kind of getting a check. I mean they won they won their their Oscar for it. Yeah. And you know the music's fine. It it's just not it's just not a great. Which to story. be fair, I watched Meet Me in St. Louis last year. It had been a long time since I saw it, and I was like, this musical's really weird. <laughs> it's got a really weird storyline. Yeah, There's I know. Good music uh, the, in it. The film, well, it was Daryl of Zanuck from Fox Films who wanted to make the film version from 1930. He wanted to make that uh, into a musical, and he approached. Rogers and Hammerstein saying, we really want you to do the music to this. And they said, yes, under one condition. We write the music in New York and we don't step foot in, in, in Los Angeles because they both had had yeah, experience in Los Angeles and didn't want to be there. I so I think that I think that's great. Also, the film stars Vivian Blaine in 1945, who right. played Adelaide in Guys and Dolls. The OG Adelaide. Now, we're yeah. going to bring up Guys and Dolls a couple other times later, which is... Radical. And it was their it was their act it was their first Oscar for It Might As Well Be Spring. Right. And It Might As Well Be Spring is the song that I know best because well it's it's it has lived on past that, but it's one that I think a lot of people use in auditions. I have seen oh, it wow. so many times yeah. as a Doesn't director. Seem like a good audition like song where it's for just me. like it, it's it's fine. It's it it was fine. It's fine. <laughs> um so after that we move on to two years later, nineteen forty seven, Allegro. Oh, wait, wait. What what? I was going to mention one thing that a show that they actually helped produce in 1946, which is what that is, and you get your gun. Oh yeah, did that's they? Right. Yeah. right. They helped to produce it, and Jerome Kern was supposed to write. <laughs> really? I hate that. Show. Well, yeah, I'm not a big. Well, I mean, even minus, even minus all of the horrifying <laughs> native depiction oh, and the song, shit. literally about it. Even beyond all of that, I still hate that music. I've I've had a million voice teachers that are AARP ma- members tell me that I need to play Annie Oakley someday, and I know nothing about that. I mean, music. yeah, I know the song "You Can't Get a yeah. Man with a Gun." That's it. So then, in 1947, we have the show Allegro, which gets uh, directed and choreographed by Agnes DeMille. We stand a legend. They were wanting to do like a more 
serious work. Mm -hmm. So Allegro is kind of this, they called it an experimental production because it was a very spare kind of set, kind of like uh, Grover's Corners and um, Our Town. Our right? Town, and yeah. And they had like a Greek chorus. Um, I know Sondheim worked on it. He was their gopher when he was in college, Williams College. <laughs> ah, that's cool. It. And it was like his first like professional job. And he said it, he said he learned a lot because he saw his giants fail. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah it you know it didn't do super well. I don't think it was an out and out flop because it made money. But it well didn't... because because they were so famous, they had already right. had a year advance in ticket sales. Right. So it had to run for a year. Right. And but it gets sort of mixed reviews, but they're like very polar. Wayne Abrams uh, of the Chicago Sun Times. This is a kind of interesting quote. Um, he said, "Nobody is neutral about Allegro. The Hammerstein Rogers DeMille musical play is either nigh unto perfection or a dismal flop. There's that much room for disagreement." <laughs> Wow. And I was like, I kind of love a show that does that, though. I yeah. love a show that, like, yeah. like nowadays especially, it. I would love to see it and us to just, like, I want to see it now. Like, Let's I really want to see it so well, that we can debate it and be like, this fucking sucks. No, it fucking rules, man. Here's why. Yeah, I, well, I've he, never seen it and I don't have any recollection of productions to see. Like, me neither. That I meant, like, you know? Well, Hammerstein basically said, like, I'm angry. I, I, I think people don't get it. I think this is genius. People just don't get it. And then later, when he found out he was dying of cancer, he was like, he like came back to it as a piece and sort of decided to fix it. He started like messing with parts of the book. He didn't finish it though. He didn't finish yeah. fixing it before he passed, which is quite sad. Sondheim says that his, his whole career was trying to fix, Sondheim's whole career was trying to fix the second act of Allegro. <laughs> What is, uh, did this win any awards? Did it win anything? I don't think anything, right? Not that I saw. I mean, no. it might have gotten... Well, the, uh, the, the the Tony Awards began that year, and I don't think it was recognized. Got it, yeah. After that is 1949's South Pacific, which we're going to discuss after we finish this chronology. And then you have 1951's The King and I, which we're going to discuss next time. Uh, so look forward to that. But we're going to move on to the next one. 1953's Me and Juliet. Now, this is a super exciting musical I knew nothing about, and now that I've read up on it, I need to see it. <laughs> so it's like a like noise. It's like a Kiss Me Kate. Yeah, hmm. right. Backstage, or like Noises Off, or like Moon Over Buffalo, like that kind of stuff where it's like backstage. You're seeing the backstage of a theater of a musical called Me and Juliet performing. Hmm. So it's a show within a show kind of situation. You have Isabel Bigley, who had just originated Sarah in Guys and Dolls. So this is their first time kind of taking a stab at like really modern music because they had decided to set it in a modern time. And apparently at this time, there was sort of a Latin dance craze. Wow. So... You should listen to this soundtrack. I went I went and started listening to it because I was so intrigued by the plot. And it's interesting um, <laughs> to hear them take this on. But people love the score. Um, but apparently it's like quite 
dull and boring to watch, which is mm. upsetting. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I feel like that might just be like the take of an older audience. I think it might be interesting now. It sounds really good. Word. I want to see it. <laughs> Word. 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 1955. Uh, we have another musical I'm super interested in. Uh, this is Pipe Dream. This is based on Sweet Thursday by John Steinbeck. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, it, very interesting. Yeah, I don't, I, I can't, I couldn't find any info on the production of it. I mean, not really. Yeah, it's a really intriguing, I think one of the things that's amazed me about all of their stuff is their source material is all over the place. Like they're, it's very pop culture sometimes, and then it's very like, Sometimes more successfully so, and sometimes right. You know, and, right. You know, I mean, we we talk, and I think that that's part of the reason that you know when people are critical of uh, you know Back to the Future the musical, it's like because we're we, it feels like we've narrowed down in terms of modern stuff where where we're pulling from. Sometimes it's kind of like takes place in a whorehouse. Well, yeah, it's partly in a Canary Row. Canary Row. Canary Row. It's sort of just like the people of. It's kind of a weird street scene esque kind of thing. I don't know Sweet Thursday, I've, but it's a short novella. The lead woman is meant to be a sex worker. This musical apparently shies away from that completely. Like, she still is. They just don't talk about it. The bordello <laughs> John... is a bordello, but they don't talk about it. And the madam is a madam, but they don't talk about it. So it's that uh-huh. kind of thing. John John Steinbeck complained that, wow, you've made my prostitute into a traveling nurse. Right. But he also sort of was like, don't you love theater? It's cool that they did this. Like, he was like kind of cool. And, and they're really, again, trying to push the envelope here, but they're a family brand. And right. how, do you make, how do you make the Rodgers and Hammerstein brand accept to, accepted by an audience when you're seeing a bunch of prostitutes and kind of like almost sweet charity ish kind of situations again it's them just kind of a miss you know they really wanted to talk about these things but the music just couldn't they just just didn't uh, didn't hit yeah and so this was a it was a financial disaster but not like an outright flop it you know people sort of enjoyed it also they were invited to um, work on a new musical at the time, and they passed on that musical to work on Pipe Dream. Do you know what that musical was? What? Oh no! A little show called My Fair Lady. Uh-huh. Huh. Oh yeah. shit! Interesting. Yeah. Probably. And would've... they say they say that after that, Rogers really kind of went into a deep depression uh, after that blow. Interesting. No pun intended. Um, Frank yeah. Lesser was pinned to write this one, but was unavailable. Uh, so they gave it, they then offered it to R&H and then they took it. They tried to make a Muppet version of this once. Wow, really? <laughs> yes, yeah. that's right. With, uh, that's fun. Miss Piggy. Yeah, Miss Piggy was going to play the lead uh, <laughs> prostitute. And they just oh, didn't right. do it. Why uh, did they not do it? It would have been amazing. It would have yeah, been amazing. Back when been. the Muppets were kind of not for kids, you know. Uh, so after that, we have then Cinderella. Yes. As many people know, which has like a thousand different versions, TV remakes, the Brandy version, the 2013 uh, Broadway version uh, revival was rewritten. The book was actually rewritten by Douglas Carter Bean, who uh, oh, yeah. wrote Tu Wong Fu, right, Thanks for Everything, yeah. Julie Newmar, which is a phenomenal film. He also wrote the and book Mrs. for Xanadu. Xanadu, yeah. 
Did he write Mrs. Doubtfire the movie? Yeah. Oh wow! No, no, no. Just the new, the new musical. No way! Ew. Shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, okay. Well, we're not gonna talk about that. But it, that's so sad. That made me so sad. Did any of you see the? I saw the that production at the Amundsen. Was it good? With uh, Fran Drescher. Was it good? Um, her dress <laughs> transformation was nice. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. I but I think in 1965 19... film when I was a kid. Right. In 1970 in 1957, you know, it's live Julie Andrews and you know mm -hmm. 107 million people tuned in. It was the more Right. 60%, 3 fourths of America tuned in to see that. More people than I had seen a stage play. Oh yeah. It's amazing yeah. to see that. I mean, that's a huge wow. deal. It's huge. It's a landmark, especially now in a time where we're having to, like, stream theater. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you well, know, and, but, you know, the descendant of that is all those, all the, the live shows, you know, that networks have been showing over the past couple of years, which we are doing an episode on later this season. Like We will be covering music. it very soon um okay Wait, what anyway mean, what 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 we're what? gonna be covering uh the sound of music is the first one but we're covering all of the live shows that they've done since oh that love that i'm really excited love that uh but we're doing I one per less Bailey excited thing, so it's gonna take a long time to get yeah. through oh them. man I'm, I'm so jesus christ superstar was good sound of music so did you hear that siege would you say Ooh. tequila i <sighs> thought that jesus christ i've seen them all have you seen annie no. no, no, recently. Mila oh, loves the JC Superstar. JC yeah, Superstar, they fucked I up like two it. of my favorite musical numbers. She doesn't like John the Alice Cooper. Great. In it. I fucking hate oh, Alice wow. Cooper in it. I say also it again. Wait, say that one more hated, time. You fucking hate who? I fucking hate <laughs> Alice Cooper in it. I also fucking hated the guy that played um, Simon Simon of the Zealots. That other song is uh, one of my favorites. That's he's yeah, like he a Swedish actually, rocker. He's Swedish. He sucked. Oh, yeah, mm -hmm. he sucked. Wow. You wow. heard it here, folks. <laughs> DJ hates okay, Alice. Well, I can't wait to hear those. I can't wait to. Because, yeah, I was... uh, The Wiz was okay. The Wiz was... We'll have you on for one. Anyway, we'll, we'll talk about Yeah, we'll talk about yeah. it later. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, the, no, The Wiz was super fun. Uh, uh, Shanice Pan, eh. Williams played yes, our Dorothy girl, in Shanice. that, and she was in Head Over Heels, and she's phenomenal. Yeah, she's the best. It was so good. We'll get into it. Uh, okay, so then you have 1958's Flower Drum Song, which we have also discussed a little bit yeah. on the David Henry Huang episode with Keela. Yes. Um, but that's based on the novel by C.Y. Lee. It's pretty offensive, but uh, <laughs> when DHH rewrote the book in 2002, I think he did some pretty amazing things to it and brought it back to the source material. Um, I would love to see that There's a movie of it that version. I've never seen. I saw the revival of Got the mus Broadway musical in 2004 yeah. starring Leia Salonga and my friend Jose cool. Lana, who was also in The King and I, which we'll talk about later. And, I, you know, there's some things that you just can't fix there yeah i mean it's it it i think it just needs to go away i've only ever seen it once <laughs> I, and i don't mean that i don't i just mean that we need to move on culturally in so many other ways and sounds like every broadway musical that had asians in it needs to go away or I mean, the, well, we'll get into it, but I think that yep. there are some that are redeemed. There <laughs> are some that I want them to go away. Like, yeah, I don't want them to go away. It's been unfortunate Asian, so. that they have been represented improperly for right. so long. Yeah, 
That's the problem. Yeah. And so now but it's also like... at the same time, there's amazing Asian theaters. So they've got their yeah. own fucking cool thing going on. They don't need mm. our crappy American musicals. True. Right. <laughs> but we need to be upholding those better and making them good American musicals that. Yes. Yeah, right. Yes. Uh, I'm with you completely. Um, And then obviously there's a thousand different reviews of their shit. There's the grand night for singing which is what a lot of community theaters will do it's a grand yeah. night for singing yeah it's Moon stupid um so but <laughs> um, but now we've stepped through their chronology chronology and i except for uh, the last one sound of music right well, i was gonna say except ah, for we've said enough about sound the sound of music, of music which we will be covering very very soon but i want to get out some initial thoughts here CJ, you start. I love it. It's my favorite RNH, especially after watching all these ones that we just that we're covering for this series. Yeah, I love Julie Andrews. She's my hero. That's it. We, we love J A. Scott, I find it boring. It was, <gasps> it, it, was, it was forced on me as a child, and I never got yeah, over it. I was scarred. I I don't hate it or anything. <laughs> I just find it boring. I other than Hila. some lovely performances, and. For the film, they wanted to do it so badly, but it was touring for so long, and uh, 20th Century Fox had lost all its money during Cleopatra, so they had to wait until all the tours were over to actually start making the film. And people thought that Edelweiss was the national anthem for Austria. <laughs> dumb Americans were because I think there was some type of thing for some event in the White House and they were like okay the uh, president of Austria is here and so they played Edelweiss oh, and it was, it was so in people, ingrained in pre people's head that even Austrians would come up to Oscar Hammerstein and say you know I love Edelweiss but I loved singing it as a child you know, I, I only know it in the, its original German you know so um, it, it, it it's there. I mean, it's 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 part of people's people's consciousness. But yes, I think it is amazing. And then it gets really boring after the lonely goat herd song. Uh, I would have agreed with you when I was six. I do love that. I love it top to bottom. Almost everyone I know says the same thing. Like you know, and then it hits that part. And I I used to agree. <laughs> now I just really love it. I think it's so fun. It. The turn of it all from like this family fun musical to well i mean it's he's a awful abusive father but besides that like it's, <laughs> it's he is daddy though he's daddy he is daddy, daddy. Oh. i was Plummer. i was we talking to my Plummer. dad Lips back. <laughs> i i was talking to my dad during christmas and i like i said before i always watch it around christmas time and was telling dad because we i've sat down and watched it with my dad a half dozen times at least and was telling him you know i'm getting ready to sit down and uh watch sound of music and we'd also just been talking about lord of the rings which is another one of my dad's favorites and he's like boy i just love it when the captain comes in that christopher lee and that scene i'm like dad <laughs> oh, christopher Plummer. So can good. you imagine so if christopher lee had been captain <laughs> honestly though back I, in the day christopher I lee was daddy better. too i think i would have liked that i don't know <laughs> i know um, and i have some too. i found some funny uh translations of what they called the film in different countries Let's hear in it. Egypt, in <laughs> Egypt, it was called Love and Tenderness. Oh, mm -hmm. In Thailand, it was called Charms of Heaven Sound. In Spain, <laughs> in Spain, it was Smiles and Tears. 
In All right. Argentina, probably the best translation was the rebellious novice. <laughs> okay. Uh, in Germany, it was my song, my dream. And in Hong Kong, could the Kong, rebellious it... novice be more like a reference to like nuns, like the rebellious nun? Like is novice like a weird translation of nun? Like the, uh, un, I mean? Yeah, un, unexperienced. Yeah. rebellious person virgin yeah. <laughs> we should make this part of um, our nonsense series right we are doing a nonsense that's my next season four <laughs> my favorite my favorite translation from hong kong is fairy music blow favorite place here <laughs> yes Yes. Favorite place Watch here. that show. <laughs> right. Blow favorite place here. Um, With Julie Andrews, hot. Something else I realized right. about this musical, right. The Sound of Music, is that this was the first musical. This is the first thing I, Bailey, ever auditioned for, didn't get, and then went and saw the show that I didn't get in as a child. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that was a big trauma point for me. You know what I'm talking about? Like when you. Oh, yeah. It happens all the time now. You don't get in the show. I don't even like see seeing those like, shows great. now. Right. It feels bad. <laughs> but I, as a kid, it was like, well, we're still going to go to Music Theater with Sean, see all the shows. So you didn't get in it, but you're not, you're not going to play. Um, whatever the middle Kurt, you're not going to play Kurt. Kurt. I guess we'll just go see the other kid play Kurt. And you're sitting there going, like, I could have done that so much better. <laughs> so much mm -hmm. better. Even though you're um, like a chubby butterball who like would not have fit on stage with any of the other kids at the cut. It's fine. Um, <laughs> the, when Julianne, the when they were, you would have been great. Bailey. I mean, thank you. I am 16. Wait, no, you would have been not Rolf. No. I could be Rolf. Kurt. I could be Rolf. Yeah. <laughs> Kurt was like the eleven-year-old. Oh yeah, goodbye. Yes, that yes, that one. Um, when the producers were uh, deciding, I'm incorrigible. Uh, they wanted Julia. <laughs> What's Wait, you were Brigitte, right? Incorrigible. I was Brigitte. Yeah. You were Brigitte. Yes. Yes. And wait, did you not need, need a governess? Or Brigitte was the nice one. That's Louisa. No, Lisa and I do Louisa. not. I, I'm, Louisa I'm 10 years old. Um, She's Louisa. I'm Brigitte. I'm 10 years old, and that's the ugliest dress I've ever seen. <laughs> she remembers her lines. I knew when, everybody's lines. I used to get yelled at for mouthing everybody's lines. You would. That tracks <laughs> yeah, so that hard. Yeah, so tracks. I saw the tour in 99 with Richard Chamberlain. <gasps> Weird. And, at a uh, pack in Nashville, and I found him very gay. Sounds oh, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sounds right. But the, when the pro the producers weren't sure they wanted Julie Andrews for the film, and they were like, "We need to know that she looks pretty on camera because she's not pretty in person." And they were like, "You know what? Wow. We know people at Disney, and she had, they had just wrapped filming for Mary Poppins, which hadn't been released yet. So they had the producers sit in a dark room and watch her beautiful face in Mary Poppins before the world did. And they said, <laughs> "All right, she can do it." I love that. Well, Keila, we're gonna have you back on for I've decided for the next Bailey pick, which is <laughs> Sound of Music live on NBC. Now uh, we'll be getting to that later. Yeah, Andre McDonald. Wait, who? Uh, Carrie Underwood? Carrie the oh, Carrie no. Underwood. It's not CJ. It's Carrie American Idol Underwood. Um, <laughs> anyway, so then after after those shows, uh, they both died. So <laughs> well, they also year. had they also had an offer to work on a new show about Jewish people, and they decided not to do that. Do you know what that was? It, it was more... called Xanadu. Oh, I mean, <laughs> Starlight Express. 
Close, close. Fiddler on the... Indecent. 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 (laughs) All right, we're moving on. We've gone off the deep end. Now, there's a show we're talking about today, though, uh, that I'm excited to get into. This is 1949's South Pod Pacific. Oh, sorry, that's the podcast. (laughs) South Pacific. On this enchanted evening, I would love to hear what it's about, but from the perspective of our very own <laughs> CJ Merriman. <laughs> CJ's breakdown. Two white Americans, a nurse and a marine lieutenant, stationed on a South Pacific island during World War II, fall in love with people that they don't deserve because big shocker, the two white Americans are racist. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's it. Yes. <laughs> That's pretty much it. I mean, was... I don't know that there's much more plot than that. Yeah, I mean, I have to say for the three that we picked. Yeah, well, they're just waiting. They're 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 kind of waiting like who my grandpa. War. Yeah, they're kind of like who my grandpa was in World War II. He was just waiting off the coast of Japan. And then they dropped the bombs and he could go home. But that's kind of how was I was he a CB? I don't know. He was a drunken jerk. Really. A CB, but, got um, it. <laughs> yeah, um, the three that we picked, the plots are not great on all of these. It's kind of more about the characters and the relationships, I guess. Well, it yeah, it's a weird, we've talked about it before. It's just a weird kind of era and a weird, weird source material. You know, this is all based on James Michener's novel. Yeah, uh, which is a series of vignettes that are vaguely linked. Tales from the South Pacific. Tales from the South Pacific. Mm-hmm. A book I've read. Yeah, it's uh, and it's interesting, and some of Michener's stuff is is interesting, and it it is more dense. But yeah, the the plot, yeah, is the plot is is secondary. Again, I think you know you start ex- talking about them getting deeper, and I think what's interesting about this one for me in sort of revisiting it was that it is the first show that they do that is contemporary. It's just a few years after the war. Like it's not, it's not a story that's set in the late 1800s or the early 1900s. There's no nostalgia there. And as a result, for me, the music seems to fuse better. It feels like it is a modern take, almost mid-century take that's about to yield new things and that's kind of what i found interesting as an overall thing never mind the the complexities of the themes that yeah and it's it's doing something for this is sort of the first time that we are using songs as an extension of a moment or an extension of um that character's sort of uh thought process not just like oh what a beautiful morning to introduce the ideals of you know this person but like there's no plot progression in the songs before this right right and i'm saying this i feel like is like about like these these songs are no longer about spectacle right these songs all of a sudden are they're introspective they're about a moment they're about a feeling they're about the person you know and they're they're there, there's really no. I mean, name a number in this that's a giant number. There's no. I mean, nothing like a dame might be the biggest one. And that's because and it's, it's literally 
big like it's, and it's the because whole cast, it's you know 30 yeah. people right yeah. you know so it's it, it, well it's all the guys right so it's sort of like I, I mean is there another number i mean honey bun is like a big number but it's just her singing i mean there were a couple that i knew really well that i was like oh this is in south pacific like i'm in love with the wonderful guy or wash that man right i'm talking about hair. spectacle so songs... i'm talking about right, like right, no, none of I these can't. are like there giant is none. musical numbers no, no they, it's, it's not a show within a show no it, Right, right. The, yeah, they don't do they don't do a ballet. They don't do the ballet because this is yeah, the first time he felt ballet. like, and they were going to. There was a moment where they're like, "We should put a ballet in this," and then he was like, "Well, it's it, this is so grounded. This is such a grounded musical. We're trying to make this as real as possible. We're really trying to tug heartstrings. I don't know that we need it. You know, Oklahoma is kind of a silly, absurd version of America. This is they're actually trying to sort of mirror." a little bit of reality, even if it is silly, which is why then we get to like hear Nellie's thoughts or like the whole first 20 minutes is them not even talking to each other. Emil and Nellie are just singing their thoughts right. to the audience, basically. is They haven't done this yet. This is new. I love quick, it. Quick digression. Um, it's one of the changes, I mean, other than uh, there's some stuff cut, but uh, the movie sw flips those first two scenes and yeah. it's the only thing i like that the movie does more than i like the music uh, the musical i just feel like it launches it it creates a world and then by the time we get to nelly uh, and the two of them having their scene i'm like right. oh uh it, it it resonates a bit more i think it's a, a minor modern, thing it's a minor i think thing. from a modern audience perspective i agree i think at the time they were doing a subversion on purpose i think there was a little bit of them being oh, like you yeah. know how normally we start with a giant number what if now we start, start it's really... two people in a room just like falling in love well like what is that look like and they're very conscious sure which is yeah that's true oklahoma has that you know as you said before Keila, the woman churning butter but this is this is another version this of is that. very this is very intimate it's a very so intimate, intimate scene and i think it's important because um what happens so often and it's like my big criticism of like stuff like gladiator and braveheart is that everything is hung on a, a love between a man and a woman or between two people and if you don't believe that, then the rest of it becomes empty. And right. so they do a really sure. good job, like where in this, where I do feel, uh, even if you switch them, I feel this way in the movie that I'm like, I'm in. I want them to make it. I want them to make it by the time they're done. Yep. You know, especially if the performances are good and they're charming and they're engaged and, and all that. I agree. Uh, I, yeah. I had a question for y'all and it's because carousel really got me to thinking, especially our conversation about it in a, in a musical that is, is about what I think racism and how people kind of deal with it, work through it, discover it, whatever they through the entire fucking thing, use a racial slur the entire fucking time. Is that, of the times, because I know that this is, you know, just two years out from what they're writing about, or do you think they were pointing at it? I, I, I don't, I, I don't think they were, they thought of it as a racial slur. I don't. Are I you think saying I, Tonkinese is a no. racial slur? No. Jack. I'd like to, I'd like to talk about oh. Tonkinese, but I'll wait. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Um, I don't that's think like that's every in the other word out of everyone's mouth in that. Yeah. And when I was a kid, my grandfather said that, and I was told it was a racial slur. And no, so... it is. I mean, it absolutely is. I, from my memory of it, and maybe this is just the revival. I remember it said twice. I don't remember it said, and it's like poignant. You're sort of like, ooh. But in the maybe... film, it's one of the first things you hear. Yeah. I haven't seen the film in years. The Mitzi Gaynor the film. film? Mm-hmm. They're yeah, in the. I the they're 19... in the. Yeah. That movie sucks. I watched the 58 film, and then I watched the 2010 Lincoln Center with Kelly O'Hara right. again. Um, and a creepy guy that breathed into his mic too much playing the lieutenant. But <laughs> I, yeah, I just, it kept I jumping out in Matthew my face Morrison from Glee? <laughs> yes. I the saw teacher it. from Andrew Glee? Samonsky was his name. Oh, you mean in the recording? Oh, that okay, one. Yeah. In, in right. the Lincoln okay. Center one that got I watched. It, got it, got it. Yeah, okay. that's, yeah. Uh, that's like later in the run. It was a different guy. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. But yeah, I, I don't think that they thought of that as a slur. It had become such a vernacular for so long. It was it was used on newspaper t fronts. They were the enemy for a decade. And so they were vilified in that way. So I don't, I don't think they were thinking in those terms. Um, what they were thinking of is, you know, it's kind of a launching pad. I mean, uh, I say a launching pad, a starting point for a discussion. They were going to hold, they took a, they rolled a lot of dice and they took a lot of chances with, and a lot of people were super offended by this musical when it started to travel and all that. Um, so no, I think sadly it was just one of those things that just was at the time and just some hardcore irony there in my opinion <laughs> yeah it is but also like what you're saying is like all the racist people use a racial slur and i'm like yeah you know what i mean like like it's emil de beck isn't using it you know it's it's like right. it's the lieutenants it's the military men yeah. that are all using it even i brought this up i knew y'all would have something interesting to say yeah i just think it. it's 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 like even if it was offensive even if it offended one person at the you know because i'm sure there were people there were woke enough people that were like we shouldn't be saying calling them that that's such a derogatory term so i think yeah. it, now especially if you're going to keep it in there it's to vilify these people but also like at the time, I think, like Scott said, probably didn't hold as much weight as like a derogatory term, but also like it's about racist people. It's about like how racist America is. It's yeah. sort of just like, a, a, again, yeah. just like a, this weird spotlight. And it's why the subversion of Nellie is one of the most perfect things ever. We see her fall in love for the first 20 minutes. Then we hear her sing a bunch of songs about herself. Then we see her with Billis and it's really cute. Then we see, you know, it's like, we are deeply in love with this girl. I, Nellie is the easiest person to fall, uh, 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 ingenue, quote unquote, like leading woman to fall in love with, in my opinion. But then right at the end of act one, they bring in the kids who you've already met, yeah. who you're already in love with because they sing Dite Moi at the beginning and you're like, oh my God, they're so cute. I'm obsessed with these kids. And she's like, oh my God, yeah, their skin color. And you're like, and she runs off stage and it's the end of act one. Yeah. We think about like this time is like, everybody was racist. It's like, actually no, like this is the time where people were really starting to fight those kind of things, you know? This is and the beginning. And have those conversations, you know? Yeah. Which is why I think Which that I just have they're to call, kind of brave. Right. I have to call 2021 20, bullshit on a meal because I would never get engaged to a guy and then be okay if he told me afterwards. By the way, I have two children. 
<laughs> not true. only that, not only that, but why was he there? Because he was, well, because he was, wrong. he was, he had murdered someone. He murdered, right. he, he had was killed murderer. people. Wait, oh, are we yeah. not supposed to give that away? No, of no, course we can't. Yeah, of course we can. If you don't know, now you know. Um, no, so he, yeah, you find out Spoiler. later that Neil um, had killed this man who was a, he, he considered a very evil man. He was a bad and, man. Um, bad man. He was a bad man. Um, and he killed him, but he just had to leave. And so then, and you don't really know much about his uh, past partner wife i assume you know i don't know who 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 had these children you don't we don't get to find out a lot about that so yeah he's kind of this weird sinister character but you can't help but love him you can't help but love him well Um, because he's the one that isn't racist right he's like the one and he's He's not american of course he's not american and and he's woke and he doesn't he has that whole speech about why can't we just love everyone? Why can't I mean, like he says it basically flat out, which but is another reason not, why people got pissed. It's not the current, the light, latest revival of Oklahoma, which they called Woklahoma. Right. <laughs> I have so many thoughts on this. First of all, Tonkinese is offensive to me because the lake, the Bay of Tonkin is in between Vietnam and China. It's nowhere right. near Thailand. Right. Right. Mm. Um, is this something they used at the time, or was this something that was just brought in for this musical as this like I, I feel fictional like ballet it's like, high kind oh, of thing? Yeah, they're like, oh, let's you know, Tonkin sounds kind of, kind of, you know, tinkery or like, yeah. it 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 kind of sounds Oriental. Sure. Even sure. though uh, that would be the the term that they used, even <laughs> though Oriental was really used for the Middle Eastern. Yeah. But then it just kind of went all the way to East Asia, and I'm sure we'll talk more about that in the next episode and as a pacific islander how do you feel about like bloody mary specifically i never liked the character i i saw the revival i had never seen the film i didn't really know the music at all until i saw the revival in 2007 starring kelly o'hara paulo jade matthew morrison uh etc and Kelly O'Hara kind of just made your heart melt as soon as she sang Cockeyed Optimist. You could literally hear the audience go, ah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they brought in a 30-piece orchestra that they revealed in, the, in, in the, the, the overture, which, by the way, do we need overtures anymore? Anyway, so... Yes, uh, and in front and of more, movies also. And more, right. more of them. But and plays. I actually... I enjoyed I enjoyed the very long evening, especially because I actually enjoyed the group numbers. The pure joy of nothing like a dame when yeah. you see that live is just so exciting. And yeah. I'm a wonderful guy because you have the girls' song, you have the guys' song. So those were really great. The uh, happy talk and the uh, all that stuff really seemed out of out of place for me and and, yeah. and it always has yeah uh you can't really even with because they had hired a, a, a loretta abel sire who played bloody mary on broadway she was nominated for the tony she's actually from hawaii yeah but it felt diminished her uh just the whole it's just it's still very degrading to right. me it's still very imperialistic like oh you know they have the white saviors coming in talking down to to the natives and so, she's a pure fool clown that's like her yeah. entire persona. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. What's interesting is that when Richard Rodgers was talking to James Mishner about, you know, adapting it for as a musical, Mishner was saying, you know, this this culture doesn't really have a traditional music. It's just a bunch of drums, <laughs> which I think is not true. But 
I, I, either way, Rogers was like, all right, well, then I will make my own kind of yeah. soundtrack to this part of the world. Yeah. And and it is, it, it's not quite as ching-chongy as a lot of the earlier racist kind of <laughs> music was. Yeah. But it still evokes a type of otherness that yeah. is not American, but... Well, and the whole idea of land. this Bally High, I mean, even the way Billis sets it up is is this, like, this far-off land where everything's fucking amazing, man. There's, there's, there's <laughs> chickens with teeth, and there's, you know, it's like, it's this whole, it's like, he's obsessed he's with doing this it. idea he, of this He play. did it. I watched him do it on stage, and now I'm watching it now. Well, uh, Richard Rogers wrote, uh, the, the legend is, is that Richard Rogers was at lunch with a friend, and wrote the song Bally High in five minutes. So he obviously was a genius. He could write <laughs> things very quickly. I mean, Bally High the song is baller it, status, but... Yeah, I mean, it's beautiful. You the have the octave with is, the half step. That's wrong. The octave and the half step is like, ooh, it's other, it's not, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, I, but I enjoy the more American numbers, like Cockeyed Optimist, um, Nothing Like a Dame, which is one of my favorite R&H songs of all time. Uh, I'm right. in love with a wonderful guy. It's just amazing i'm not a fan of that um, one i have a funny story about mary martin though yes i'm enchanted of course and on the broadway the original broadway version uh when they were previews mary martin came to rnh and said you know i should actually really wash my hair in like actually do it that show and they were like okay well let's try it and they said in previews she was literally washing her hair during that song and then the audience was kind of in awe and they were kind of like wow is she really washing her hair because <laughs> you know this is 1949 i guess it's a very intimate thing not something you see yeah weren't doing that so um the great josh logan who actually didn't get credit for half writing the script with right. Oscar Hammerstein he, yeah, until yeah. the film until the film but, because uh, he he's the one who helped with all the military stuff because yes hammerstein didn't dad, know shit about yeah. yeah right and his dad was uh josh logan's um yeah, his dad was a teacher at a military academy. But anyway, so uh, he said, you know what? Sing the song all the way through, and then we'll take the shampoo and then wash your hair. And it just, it tore the house down. They just loved seeing mm. a woman wash her hair. So then they were <laughs> such good business people that. that they had a home permanent, uh, you know, South Pacific home permanent cream or shampoo for the ladies and then silk pajamas and uh, actually ticket stubs, fake ticket stubs so that you could buy, so that, you know, even though you couldn't see the musical, it was such a hit wow. that uh, every, I mean, you couldn't get a ticket, so they had, and the scalping was just a big, a big thing. And uh, there was also a very famous meeting at the opening night on Broadway, a very famous meeting of two theater makers on the opening night of Broadway. Do you have any idea who that would be? No. Janine Tesori and Tony Kushner. Well, I think they were born a few years later. Andy Weber. I'll give you a hint. Sondheim and Hal Prince? Yes, of course. um, course. Sondheim would have been invited by Oscar Hammerstein and his um, son, James. Yeah. And uh, Mary Rogers, who is the daughter of Richard Rogers, brought a date named Harold Prince. Hey, Allie. That's where they met. We love it. That's cool. That's cool. Love it. Keyless tidbits. April 9th, 1949. We need another stinger. Keyless Insert stinger here. <laughs> Insert stinger here. Um, yeah, what I, else? I, no, I was going to bring up, uh, I got to watch Bailey's performance as Billis. 
it was really oh. well. It was it was well shot. Like that was that was the other thing. Like it was yeah. well recorded. Yeah. Um, but it was a really good production, and you killed it, bro. Thank like you. You were, you were acting. Oh, yeah. You were acting circles around some people. There were oh. some people in that that were just really good singers who could act, and you well, were doing, you were doing both. You have to remember it's a it's a regional theater in the middle of the country where the leads are all direct from Broadway. Like they had just finished doing it on Broadway. So they came down and played the three leads, Bloody Mary, Emile, Nellie. Okay. And then everyone else was cast out of local colleges and community. So like all the all the CBs are just dancer kids from Oklahoma U- City University and right on, <laughs> like right on. you know what I mean like okay, but it was see. it was great I mean it was so well paced and and some lovely lovely performances yeah and appreciate you, that you I love it. that production yeah you killed it also the original the original production uh, soundtrack was number one for 115 weeks so that's basically Holy an entire shit. year Big. where that soundtrack was just part of America's zeitgeist. Yeah. Oh, over two uh, years, 115 life. weeks, you said? 115 weeks, yeah. Wow. There's yeah, definitely some years. songs I Oh yeah, that's two years. To there's... <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's definitely some songs I great... skip, but I do listen to it a good deal. I think it's one of, it's a very listenable soundtrack. What do you skip? Sure. If you don't um, I mean- Some Enchanted Evening. No, I mean, Some Enchanted Come Evening. On. I No, no, no. It, because that's uh, maybe my favorite song, uh, but it's one of those that I have to like be in the right mood for, right? I don't listen to Honey Bun. <laughs> I don't uh, maybe the maybe the the reprise at the end when and if cuz in the original they didn't do this in the original they sort of had this ending of the reprise of Honey Bun and they're leaving and they have like starfish on themselves and they're like 101 tons of fun we're going to war and fuck your son or whatever and then so we what the revival did that's so genius is taking that ending militarizing it with just like a snare drum and a freaking trumpet and just having them singing a hundred and one pounds of fun, whatever. And Mm. um, tons of, and it's so like wrenching. And, and I think it's, I think it can be one of the best musicals of all time. And it can be one of the most problematic musicals of all time at the same time. I don't think those are mutually exclusive. I mean, go ahead, Siege. Oh, well, I was just going to say, I think Younger Than Springtime is a fucking creepy-ass song. And mm-hmm. I I just didn't agree with the crazy over-romantization of how soldiers treated women that they met abroad. I just... Agreed. Yep. That's, a, that's a huge yep, issue that people look at now where they talk about... Because that's the part <clears throat> of the, this musical I don't necessarily love is the Cable Liot stuff, which no, includes it, Bloody she Mary. Doesn't, that, that's why I'm... I would be so interested in somebody redoing this book and seeing if it is, if those things are fixable because she literally doesn't have say anything. She doesn't yeah. have any moment of, of, of age. Well, I'm immediately thinking, how old is this young woman? How old is she? Well, well in 13. reality, let's not talk about it. Like it's horrific. You right. Know, but... That's the problem. But I think younger than springtime is a song I would cut if I was doing Fucking the show. I get shit. it that it's like, people love it because when you're not listening to the lyrics it's this like really nice song but when you yeah it's you're emotionally right, Siege, manipulative you, it is it's a it's a yeah. passing paul song and when you and when you really dive into it you start realizing like oh fuck and that whole that whole thing is problematic and i think um unfortunately 
I think uh, uh, that's the part that needs to be like really looked at and rewritten. Yeah, I think the Nelly Emile stuff like really works. I think it sure. says everything it's oh, trying yeah. to say. I think by the end of it, it's it hits you in the right places. I think by the end You're of it, right, I Steve. still don't think she deserves him at all. But I but, mean, that's probably twenty. I can agree with that. But but it. I will say also. The best song that sort of solidifies the theme of the entire musical is a cable song, which yep. of course is you have to be carefully taught. I feel like that could be the knock down, drag out, bring down the house number now. Agreed. It's um, like if I, you made him sing his ball. Very song. controversial. Yeah. Agreed. It, it oh, was sure. like they, they basically sure. they doubled down. They were like, I know people are going to get pissed off, but we're keeping this in the show. If we don't keep it, this is the thesis of the show. It's cut from the movie, isn't it? No, it's in the movie. No, it's is in it the in the movie? movie? Yeah. Okay, okay. It's in the movie. But There's I don't think it was love... cut from. I don't, you know. I, I, don't I know. also think that that scene is one of my favorite R and H scenes between two characters. Yeah, so um, good. Yeah, because then that leads into uh, this. Nearly was mine. The Emil's. When I read the story about them going, oh, you're gonna have to cut this song, and they're like, no, fuck you. I just was like right on i mean it that's one of those literal cultural moments that you know that is like a pebble in a pond it ricochets you've got out. to be you've got to be carefully taught before it's too late before you are six or seven or eight to hate all the people your relatives hate you've got to be carefully taught it is so kind of didactic and preachy right, right. but it's a must it's a must it's a must, it's a must and because no, i mean we're here now when that song works well. <laughs> and, and like, here, totally. Here's the thing years is, later. is that, that audiences in the South at that time that were seeing the tour, they had never that they had never heard that tell, said said like that. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, at and, all. And, and he got a, well, he, they got many letters. They got a letter from uh, one um, Navy veteran who said, uh, you could not have disrupted uh, this musical more thoroughly if you had stopped and had a lecture on venereal disease. Wow. I mean, this is just so bad. <laughs> and in Atlanta, they boycotted it saying that it was uh, communist, um, you know, communist propaganda. Mm. And Oscar <laughs> Hammerstein said, uh, well, well yeah. I don't know why everything so beautiful has to come from Moscow. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then there was one like uh, uh, Atlanta or Georgia senator who like wrote like this we're, we're progressive people but uh we're not gonna but... we're not gonna listen to any half breeds and it was just like Ooh, published in, in in national publications like it was like a, a u.s and well i don't know for that much and this better. brings well... me back to i fucking love theater because it gets people turned yeah. up and i love at it at the time there it. were 20 29 states that still had anti-miscegenation laws yeah. Time. Sure. That's sure. Completely uh, unsurprising. So, yeah. <laughs> but, um, also, there's another song that was cut uh, right after, right after the postcoital scene with Liot and Cable. Um, and can you recognize this tune? <laughs> suddenly lucky, suddenly our arms are lucky. Suddenly lucky, suddenly our lips have kissed. Uh. Getting to know you yeah, from the king yeah, and I, which yeah, will be that's a great way to connect us to next week because that is what we will be covering yes. next week. Um, do you guys have any final thoughts on South Pacific? 
Juanita oh. Hall, who played Bloody Mary, was African American and white. Mm-hmm. Right. So we yes. love we love her. We love her voice. But they've had a few of those. They did that. There was also a movie I want to say in the '90s, a made-for-TV movie starring Glenn Close as a uh, older Nelly. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ooh, it's Jesus. not good, to be clear. <laughs> uh, it's got a really weird cast. And it starts with nothing like a dame. The first song is nothing like a dame, and then it goes into the other stuff. Like, but the, it, like the movie. Like the movie does. Like the movie, it does yeah. the same thing, but it it doesn't work in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> There's something else interesting about it, but I can't really remember. I just remember it was bad. But people like really loved Glenn Close in it. Oh, there's a there was a concert version of it starring Reba McIntyre and Alec Baldwin as mm-hmm. Billis. <laughs> but it's like this concert version that everybody considers like the ultimate like <laughs> right. concert South version South of this. Pacific. And I'm like, okay. All right. Is true. Reba playing Bloody Mary? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um wow. She's Leon. Uh no, she's <laughs> she's Nelly. She's an older Nelly. Um yeah. Um I think uh one of the things that I uh, I was really astounded with was how much tweaking they kept doing after it opened like they didn't it didn't settle for almost six seven months uh things were still being moved around and messed with and i think that that's a really cool thing like i just dig the idea of these two guys going no and and logan we should all give credit to the director and co-book author um of just keep going this oh we can make this better we can make this better oh this works better here we can do this here uh, he did also direct the movie, the original movie, which is horribly directed, which is and the crazy. those, yeah. those insane color filters and yes. like color filters were something else. So bad, and and you know, I, like they just put a gel over the camera. Yeah, there's no, a I documentary just... on um, South Pacific. I will. There's a there's a there's a, uh, there's a documentary on South Pacific. I can't remember what it's called now, but it's like South Pacific the the tales and the times or something. And the director of my South Pacific that, that Scott watched, his brother made this documentary. So he came and, and showed it at the theater on the projection, big projector. And the whole cast and a bunch of donors came and like watched it. And Mitzi Gaynor was the narrator of it. It like totally sold me on the show. I was like, mm. like after that, I was like, this is the greatest musical of all time. He like made me really fall in love with the show outside of thematic actually and content, actually just like what it, how it impacted theater and America. And I, I do really love it. I think there's a, uh, there's another musical I think everybody should check out called From Here to Eternity, the musical. It's on Broadway HD, Siege. You should check it out. Ooh. It's basically like right if down. South Pacific could be ri- was written now, and it's Tim Rice of Evita lyric writing fame, and it's uh, it's very good. Highly recommend it. You made me watch that trailer, and it, the trailer was yeah, trailer We watched that trailer together. I remember yeah. you mentioning it. I got to get in there. Be ready from, get in for that. some insane accents. I've said this on the pod before, but it basically they're like, hey, yeah, I'm from uh, Alabama. Because uh, they're all British. It's very funny. Um, anyway, we love you guys. Uh, do you guys have any... L.A. Spotlight. L.A. Spotlights? 
Yes, uh, Sacred Fools is opening its first full production since COVID lockdown. It is called How We Got On by Idris Goodwin. Tickets on sale now. Check it out at sacredfools.org. It's a beautiful, beautiful little play about young people finding their voice. And it's uh, set in the early days of hip hop. And um, can't wait. It's cool. It's cool. Did you got anything? No, but I am proud to. I am excited to say that uh, all of my shows that got postponed have rehearsal dates back on the calendar, so they haven't been canceled. So yes, we love we'll that. See we daylight. love to hear that. Well, yes. nice. Yes. Keely, got so, anything to plug or pitch? You're working on Winter's Tale right now. Winter's Tale with uh, Shakespeare Youth Festival will be out at the end of March, and a little new music. Our uh, concert uh, is scheduled to perform on March the fifteenth. Fingers crossed. Fingers Amazing. crossed. Yeah. It's, the Ides. Keila, thanks for joining us again. Yes, thanks thank you. Thank for you. So much fun. We I love really you. love being here with you all. I just like I nerding out with you. Yeah. I just like nerding out. Oh, out. but I think I think Bailey, uh, South Pacific just doesn't hold up for me. I know you love it, but I'm sorry I, to end You know what, womp, but like, I need to maybe like, it's also been since I've done it, which was eight, nine years ago. I need to like revisit it because I didn't even for this podcast. I was sort of like, I know it. And now I'm like, maybe, <laughs> you know, maybe I don't. I need to revisit it. I don't know that I would call it my favorite musical anymore, though. There was a time where I would have. Uh, it's low on the list compared to, you know, Assassins. Phantom of the um, Opera. And coming <laughs> off of coming off of World War Two and America's fascination with, you know, the South Pacific or Hawaii or what have you. It's going to be a hit in 1949. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It just was a cultural document. Yeah. Of and about its time. Thank you all for joining us for part two of South Pod Civic. Join us next week for part three, where we're covering The King and I. And then after our R&H finale, we're moving on to our first bonus series of the season. We're covering plays that have been made into movies with Pam Quinn. We're going to be covering Scott's pick, which is Sleuth. Yes. Wait, who's the writer of Who wrote that? Schaffer? Uh, I have it here. Anthony yes. Schaffer? It's not Anthony Schaffer. It's a different Schaffer, as I recall. Um, not wow. Peter Schaffer. It is Anthony Schaffer. It is Anthony Schaffer. That's it's it. not I, Peter Schaffer. Not yeah. Peter Schaffer. That's um, right. Got you. Uh, there's two versions of that movie. Actually, there's three, but there's two versions that are legitimate, and we're going to watch. I'm going to watch both of them, but we're going to talk about the original. We're going to talk about the Sidney Poitier late and great Raisin in the Sun, <clears throat> which was CJ's pick. We have yep. uh, Pam's pick, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? <gasps> it's one I'm of my favorite plays. super excited to revisit that. And my pick rabbit hole nice david Lindsay yeah. bears rabbit hole keila's pissed <laughs> no, i love that movie directed so by john cameron mitchell right john cameron mitchell starring I diane Beast, on broadway Kidman, uh sandra O, oh, daniel craig which i'm excited we're doing who's afraid of virginia wolf because then we're covering albie later in this season yeah. yes i just you know so that virginia wolf and weird and i can't wait it's coming to the geffen Yes, oh, fun. Yeah. Who's directing it? Yes. Oh, shit. I don't know who's directing it, but it's starring Zachary Quinto and... <gasps> Zachary Quinto and Callista Flockhart. Are playing Ooh. George and and the older couple? <gasps> wow. That's we should cool. see if we can get tickets this same go. night as Harrison Ford. We're going to go. Callista Flockhart of 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 Birdcage what fame? What show? 
A, bir- a, a birdcage bird fan. Cage? She wasn't in birdcage. <laughs> of course yeah, she, she is. She's the, she's the love she's, interest. She's the love interest. She's the fiance. The oh. fiance. Yeah. Oh, I'm thinking, okay. It's fine. She's Diane Weist and Jean Hackman's <laughs> daughter. That's right. Do y'all have questions or comments? We want to hear what y'all think about South Pacific. You can email us. You can also send us a message on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Scott. Why, thank you, CJ. Uh, a big shout out to Pamela Quinn for writing our amazing Rodgers and Hammerstein centric song, which so you are much. about to hear. She contributes regularly. She's going to be a guest later this season. She's been a guest in the past. We love her. We worship her. A big shout out again to the great Ryan Thomas Johnson for writing our theme song. Our theme song is better than your theme song. It's true. He also writes all of our stingers, including our brand new one, and he's an amazing human being. And finally, to the great Pulitzer Prize winning playwright Annie Baker, thank you for writing every single one of our episodes and not even knowing you're doing it. We think you are awesome. And one day, Annie Baker, we're going to buy you a beer. Yeah. It's true. We're going to do it. Yeah. What? I'm in love. I'm in love. I'm in love with all three of you guys. Cute. Uh, <laughs> we love that. We love you back. Uh, please subscribe, rate, and review. It really does help out. Uh, we'll read your review, as you heard at the beginning of this please. episode. Because why not? And, you know, please. keep it anonymous. It's kind of funny. I don't yeah. care anymore. <laughs> it's, it's a good bit. It's a good bit, guys. Good, good bit. bit. Good, good bit. bit. Uh, okay, we'll see you guys later. Bye. Bye. It takes a lot of men to make a gun. <gasps> Hundreds. Hundreds. Many men, Many to, make men to make a gun. Men in the mines to dig the iron. Men in the fields to Assassins. Have a great time at the theater tonight. Thank you. Enjoy. I'm go see everybody who's talking about Jamie. All right. Bye. bye. Okay, bye. See you next week. <laughs> Same time. All that. Next yeah. week. Yes. Same yes. time. Yes. Okay. Don't don't leave. Bye. Don't leave. Don't leave till he stops recording. Don't leave till he stops recording. <laughs> Hold on. Keep all this. <laughs> I'm keeping it all. Later, everybody. Adolize, oh, what a beautiful day.